I'm almost apologetic because my heart is shouting for a reprise right now. So rather than apologize, um, let's talk about Jesus Christ so that we know where to go and whom to stand and what to anticipate from Him. If you have um, your Bible or your app, um, open either one to Philippians, the fourth chapter. And uh, let's, just, uh, let's just process where to go and what to do as um, the people of God after His heart. And so if you would allow me for this moment... Um, to say this to the Lord. Holy Spirit, You are good. You are present. You are a beautiful mediator. You speak the name of Jesus over us, in us, and through us. And so, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, through His Spirit, that You would um, give us a presence of mind and heart and soul and strength to know where to turn to know what to do, and more importantly, who to turn to. And so Jesus, we love you, and we worship you, and we praise you today for your great grace and your goodness. Amen. I'm uh, just sitting through this service and having some moments of eager anticipation. Um, Eddie's being baptized, and I've just, as many of you have, walked out of small group and uh, enjoyed Bible study, and I'm correlating the scripture to baptism and just thinking about Ananias and Paul and the goodness of Christ to draw Paul or Saul at that point to himself and to rescue him and for Ananias to have said when the Lord said I'm going to send you somewhere his answer was just Lord here I am let's go for the sake of your glory. Oh, by the way, I'm going to send you into peril and turmoil and into one who is slaying fellow believers. Are you positive, Lord? Yes, here I go. And I just love that. I don't know that that's a descriptive of Eddie, but um, it's a descriptive of David who engaged his friend in conversation, shared life, and now you're Ananias. You've baptized Saul, who's going to become Paul. And I love my conversation with Eddie this week. He may be sitting in the room going, I wish you would not talk about me right now, but I'm okay with this. Because his answer to me was, I'm in the kingdom. Um, I have come to know Jesus. And I love his answer. I just am looking forward to the part that God has for me. And so I don't sit in baptism and go, oh, another check the service was good. I'm sitting in baptism going, I wonder what Paul is going to do as a result of the conversion through Christ for the sake of his glory. So thank you, Ananias, David Hall, for just being the voice of Jesus Christ and being the, the person who introduced him and let them get to know each other in a rescuing way for the sake of the glory of God. And then I listen to Matt turn around and say, oh, by the way, we're going to gather dozens and dozens of students and we're going to have followers of Jesus named Ananias point them toward Jesus this weekend. And so right now I'm just kind of sitting on, Lord, what are you going to do among us? Um, how many current Sauls will become Pauls? next weekend. So church, you should be fasting and praying this weekend. You should be fasting and praying throughout this week. And I'm just inviting you to join me in asking God what he is going to do in the current souls who will experience the life-transforming message of the truth of the gospel. Or I can get revved up right now because your leadership, your deacons and small group leaders are going to spend from 12 to 2 not thinking about a football game, but thinking about eternity. 
And so we're going to spend two hours learning to share gospel conversations with the people around us to identify how to do that more effectively. And so that's where your leadership will be from 12 to 2. Now, 3 o'clock? Okay, we'll leave that out. And so um, it's an exciting day. And I was reading the scripture, Ryan, and singing the song you led us to sing. And I, I just had to open. I've had you turn to Philippians 4. But um, I wanted to just open with Galatians 4, which I've read throughout this series as we walk through the book of Philippians. If you're a guest, welcome um, to our study of the scripture. We've been walking for about seven months through the book of Philippians, taking a break for Advent. And um, we're back in chapter 4. And in learning about our relationship with Jesus and what that means in context of the family of God, I read Galatians 4 to you for several weeks now. Because we are sons and daughters, God has given us the Spirit. He sent the Spirit of Abba Father to us. So no, you're no longer a slave, but a son or a daughter. And if you're a son or daughter, then God has made you an heir of Jesus. And then in our teaching, I've gone immediately to verse 9. So that's chapter 4 of Galatians 6 and 7. And then 9 says, But no, since you know God, or rather have become known by God, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless efforts? But I've, I've not included verse 8 in there. And it says in verse 8 that prior to knowing Jesus, you were fundamentally enslaved to the ways of this world. So once you have come to know, to come to know Jesus, and not just to know Him, but once you have been known by God, how could you and I consider turning to something that was worthless or temporal when we have been invaded and freed by the, by the freedom of the presence of the power of God? And so when we reach Philippians 4 and we begin to say, so then, in verses 1 through 4, my dearly loved and longed for, Brothers and sisters, my joy and crown in this manner, because I am an heir of Jesus, because I was once enslaved to sin and mutiny against the Father, but I have been liberated by the gospel of Jesus and placed inside of me is the Spirit of Christ that causes me right now to shout within my soul, Abba, Daddy, Father, how with that Spirit rolling around in me could I not do anything but stand firmly rooted and established in the fullness of what God has for me and for you, for us as the body of believers. So my dearly loved brothers and sisters, in this manner, stand firm in the Lord. You are my dear friends. I love this journey with you. And, and when we're struggling, I come along and just want to point out, Yodian and Syntyche, I urge them to agree in the Lord. I also ask you, true partners, to help these women who've contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life, rejoice in the Lord. I want to say it again. Yeah, they, I mean, rejoice. There's just an atmosphere of joy about the body of believers. So rejoice. And I say it again, rejoice. Let the graciousness of who you are be known to everyone. Why? Because the Lord is near. And we are realistically as a body of believers and followers of Jesus going to be known for some things. And that's where I want to tease out and wrestle with the reality of Scripture and truth. What are we known for as the body gathered here? 
And how is that compelling for others? And he assumes that we understand fully that we are in right standing with God. This is a gift of God in Christ. And that's what causes us as brothers and sisters dearly loving one another. To look around and go, let's stand firm in this. We have been made right by God. He abolishes fear because we are his children. Out of the work of the cross, we are accepted fully and unconditionally in Christ, by Christ, and for Christ. And within me, there's something swelling up inside right now. He reminds us of that victory because the kingdom of God is realized among us. If you're tracking along with this, there's yes and amens going on. My wife posted from Passion Conference this past weekend, and I won't try to um, re-speak it this way because Priscilla Shire had built up to this moment, but she posted, I think yesterday, just this two-minute clip of walking through this, this reality and truth of, of what we stand firm in as heirs of God, as people who have been made righteous with God, as contenders for the faith. I mean, he looks at them and says, how, how are you cross-haired with your brother and sister when you once contended and agreed in the midst of the gospel. So contend in the middle of that. You are a fearless person made whole in Christ. You were made righteous by Jesus. You were set apart for him. Do you understand these things about yourself? And then Priscilla went on and said, her point was this, you know, why do we act in such a manner that we are more powerless than what Satan realizes of us? He understands who we are in Christ. And we as a fearless, emboldened, Holy Spirit-filled heir of Jesus Christ should be walking around looking, dear brothers and sisters, here is our point of agreement we walk about in this we stand firm in this and let us shout of the glory of the cross of Jesus Christ who has made us whole and fearless and one in Jesus and heirs of his and that's that's what unites us as the body of believers bringing us together as his people and that is the place from which we contend He he says this and just place deep roots here. You contend, you and I agree on this, that we're in the image of God. We're made for his glory. People who are made in the image of God make much of the greatness of God, boldly speak of God. It is our purpose to image God in this world. And so we do that from the place of righteousness. This is straight Philippians 3 for just a moment. As as you and I look at one another and say, from what point can we agree? We agree that we are contenders from the point of being made righteous in Jesus Christ. Can can we agree on that? And it's just good news for us. We contend from a place of deep roots. We contend from righteousness of Jesus. We contend in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Paul said it this way, I have pursued the knowledge of many things and I have come experientially to know Jesus. And there is nothing that supersedes this. The tastes that I have on this earth are bitter in contrast to the joyous wonder of tasting and seeing the goodness of Jesus. So we contend not only that we're known by him, but we know him experientially. We know him as in Genosco, the knowledge of Jesus. I know you because God, I have walked intimately with you. That's our point of agreement, people. We've been, we are contending because we're known by Christ. We are contending because we have, according to Philippians 3, the spirit of adoption where we cry out, Oh God, you are our Father. 
We contend not just solely that, but we contend and Paul contends and writes in this manner from the hope of resurrection. Astounded by that and steeped in the grace of Christ. He's writing around and many have asked about this passage and I would ask except I, I just have conjecture as I read Paul and understand that he's not unclear about the gospel of Christ or why he has gained the grace of Christ or why he has the eternal hope of salvation. And in other letters he writes if, if the resurrection is not eternal and we do not have an eternal hope in heaven, this is all futility. I just love that Paul, who knows Jesus well, is utterly astounded by the resurrection. And he sits and writes this like, I don't understand this. In Philippians 3, you can read his own words. I don't understand this. I want to know Jesus. I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. And somehow, in this mystery of the wonder of his grace, to gain and attain the resurrection from the dead. And I will. In Christ. For Christ and by Christ. There There are the myriad of points of agreement that we have as the body of believers. And those are the points from which we contend. We're just coming together going, hallelujah, amen, yes, Lord. And here's where I want to contend from in these roots by taking hold of that which has taken hold of me. I, um, I had a, the privilege of sharing in Miss Nancy's um, funeral uh, now a week and a half ago, and I, was, I just haven't stopped thinking about it. And I just want to share some of the things that were said. And she, she was a contender. An extraordinary humility, but in just a life that lived in agreement with others. I mean, this, this is a, a long life journey where you just, we heard at the funeral story after story of just this agreement around the unity of the power of the word of God and the cross of Christ and what that meant. And one of the people stood and one of the family members stood and just shared, you know, in, in, uh, Corpus Christi, Texas, there just were hundreds of people that were impacted as she taught the Word of God on a weekly basis and just sat among a large group of ladies. And then we had testimony time, and people began to share that testimony. It was just powerful because one of them said, I am not here to redact or correct what the family has said. I just want to be clear. She didn't impact hundreds. She impacted thousands. With, with what she agreed upon and what her life agreed upon and how her agreement around these gospel principles compelled her for the sake of Christ. Um, one man called, I got the chance to hear this from Karen right after the phone call. It was in the last few days of her life and in the first few days of moving to being fully with the Father in, um, in unity of spirit and in unity of eternal value. And so she's in this transitional mode and this guy calls and he says, I just want to talk to your mom for a minute. I, she, I'm not sure she can hear right now. Let me just put the phone to her ear. And he just shared and then he told Karen what he shared. He said, I just, I had to tell her thank you. For when as I was rolling through here and um, Bob, her husband, who I never met, taught tennis for years. And as I was walking through and being taught in the clinics that he had, and his clinics were really for the purpose of the gospel. And so as I was coming through, I came to know Jesus because of you. And I just wanted to tell you, thank you. I just wanted you to hear the words, thank you for sharing Christ with me. Thank you that my children are mobilized for the sake of the gospel. Thank you for three generations of my family that are impacted. And here's what I want you to hear. And I would plan this seed in your life because this is worthy. I just want to tell you, I told your mom and I want to tell you, she did Jesus well. 
I love that sentence, you know? I'm praying that about us as I read Philippians, the fourth chapter. Not that we have a homiletical study, but that we have a Christ-centered, Christ-fulfilling reality of, Jesus, I want to contend and agree with my dearly loved brothers and sisters who sit in this room, and I want us to share at each other's funeral at some point in time that we did Jesus well. And in doing Jesus well, hundreds if not thousands were impacted by it. There are multiplied dozens that walk through the waters because we love Jesus well and we, we share that love well. And I, I just, I felt like that was not worthy of being left in the funeral, but worthy of us understanding that Miss Nancy sat in what I consider to be one of the most sacred moments. And so could we begin to pray this way for the glory of our resurrection and the glory of the coming of Christ to receive us to himself? I want to sit in a moment where there's a collision. Uh, Scott, you taught me about collisions. I want this collision to happen. And so out of that funeral, I've been praying this, that there will be this whispering voice that I will hear for eternity saying, well done, good and faithful servant. All the while, somewhere in that transitional moment, I'll, maybe Susan or someone will put a phone to my ear and say, you did Jesus well. And the collision of the eternal and the temporal will come together because I have fleshed out my life on this earth with the eternal as the only driving force of my life. And I got to contend for that with you, my dearly loved brothers and sisters in Christ. And we get to look at one another and smile and say, may we do Jesus well so that at some point, by the grace of Christ, we hear, well done, good and faithful steward of my name. Glory to God. And so that happens when when we are known for a couple of things. And so I just want to share two things in closing, and that's about one-third the way through now. It's, it's a great moment for us to say, we want to make you known, Jesus. I'm, I'm tempted to skip over. When I think of this, you know, how do we make him known? I automatically go to John. And, and I'll just take the second with this. John the Baptist. I mean, he, it's, the scripture says in Mark, everyone, all, the word all, people came to him. That means thousands or tens of thousands. And they ask him a critical moment. You know, how, Nancy, why do you do Jesus well? Who are you? I think this is a great moment for those of us who are Euodias and Syntikis to wrestle with this as well. If you're cross-haired with a brother or sister in Christ right now, it's a great time to wrestle with the question that was asked of John, that Paul wrestled with and answered, that Nancy Mapes answered, that all of us have to answer when someone comes and says, I'm seeing that you're known for something, so who are you? How do we... How do we reach what I preached about last week, a humble heart from Philippians 2? Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature with God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped and carries on to this radical statement of humility and exaltation through Christ. How do we reach that? John did it well. He said in John 1.27, here's who I am. I'm a directional sign. That's my only point. Tens of thousands are coming clamoring. They just don't know that they're not clamoring for me. And if we could reach agreement at a church, we would probably realize they're clamoring for Jesus. And we would realize the only purpose that Mandarin has for existence is to point men and women and children to Jesus Christ. We're just, we're a directional sign. That's our reason for gathering. We have no position. 
We have no place of, of, of authority that we're trying to establish other than the authority of the name of Jesus. And we're just kind of fleshing this out saying, you want to know who I am? I point people to Jesus and I'll be known for this role. And then John 3, he says something so powerful. He says, the reason that I'm known by the crowds, the reason that you see a lot of people, this is a gift of God. It's his grace. It's God who made me known. God has allowed me to be known. So my only point in life then is to make him known. So I'm going to walk about the rest of my days agreeing as that as the principal purpose of my life. And the principle that we could walk away with is this. You are known so that you can make Jesus known. You are known by God. You are received in, a, in agreement with Christ into the kingdom of the living God for this purpose. You're a directional sign saying, it's Jesus. Let's make him known together. Could we as a body of believers, could we agree around that? That's why we're here. And, and the Yodis and Sintikis are, are wrestling with this right now. There are those of us in this room, and I don't have any personal stories or a vendetta as I preach this. I just know me and I know you. We have things that are point of agreement that have reached our crawl. And I'm just looking and saying, look at this. What if your purpose is a directional sign and it is the point to Jesus? And so could we either get some brothers and sisters to come alongside us and help us to get over whatever temporal point of disagreement we have so that we can and make, make, make Jesus known so stinking well as we walk this earth. Because I'm known to make him known. That's my purpose in life. And when that's true, there will be, according to the fourth verse of chapter 4, extraordinary joy happening in this place. And I, I, think, that, I think that often... You know, I mean, I don't... It's going to be funny. I won't be funny. Um... I think we think joy is this happy, clappy feeling. And, and Paul's like writing us going, I want you to know, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. Rejoice. I want to say it again. Rejoice. He's looking at him and saying, look, I want you to be known as a people who are in agreement. And in that agreement, there is rejoicing going on among you. And there is rejoicing about what God is and who he is to you. It is, I, I, I just think of the hymn. It's my mom's favorite hymn. It is well among us here. When peace like a river, it moves into my soul. It's not all, it's all good, it's all good. No, no. There are challenges in there for our own family. There is cancer that we walk through. There are things that we walk through. There is destruction that we walk this earth. But there is joy here. And it is far deeper than happy, clappy, I'm, we're joyful, although I think we could use a little more of that as well. It's this joy he writes of in the Greek would be a greeting. And listen to this, it's a greeting. It's an expectation of the body of believers. It's a natural outworking, or maybe we could use a better word, a supernatural outworking of the Holy Spirit at work among us. The, the joy of the Lord would be that. It's, it's called Cairo. It's the Cairo of the body of believers is the jubilant component of the people of God. And listen, listen, it is typical. 
So when you hear this Greek word, let me just point out some places you would hear this Greek word in other points of Scripture. There is Cairo, there is joy when you find something formerly lost. That's in both Matthew 18 and Luke, I believe, 15, when there was a coin that was found, or a sheep that was found, or a lost son that was found. There was great joy among them. I mean, they, they killed some cattle and threw some parties over this. There should be among us, I just want to bring this home to today, there should be joy at the depths of our soul when you see someone in a service step into the waters of baptism. Because someone lost was found. Someone blind now sees. Someone dead was made alive. And the body of Christ, we don't just sit around going, whew, that's good, it's another one. No, we're looking. There's rising up within us this biblical joy because someone was found. It's described in when we, when we find our hope in a reward from God, there is joy. When we hear the birth of Jesus and we're out um, taking care of a flock, they bring good tidings of great Cairo. When the miracles of Jesus happen, this Greek word is used. There is joy, rejoicing among the brethren. Again, I say rejoice. When the resurrection of Jesus happens, you find this Greek word in the New Testament. I'm I'm excited right now. When someone repents and walks in the way of truth, there is Cairo. When someone lacked joy, discovered the roots of Jesus, and walked in joy, there is joy. When we experience the increasing faith from others, there is joy. We see this illustrated over and over. Paul's writing this letter. I mean, I I think you all know this, but let's just be crystal clear. He's writing um, Philippians 4, verse 4 about rejoicing from prison. So lest you got to go, it's all good with him. He's such a happy guy. He's writing this from a cell. Um, he's been betrayed twice in that cell. Should have been released twice. Was not released. And then he goes on, I think it's in 2 Corinthians 11. If you want to read a description of all the things he's been through, you know, to get to that jail, he was in a shipwreck and bitten by a serpent, for heaven's sakes. And then he looks at us and goes, Rejoice! Let the Cairo of the living Christ be manifest among you. I have much anticipation for the church at Philippi, the church across Macedonia, that there will be great joy among you. And so I write to you, not from a heart of flagellation because I am stuck in prison. Here's what's going on. God, like he did with you, is raising up his church right where we are right now. So instead of this letter being something about his circumstance, it's 15 times written about rejoicing. And he's looking and saying, this isn't, this isn't, jot this in your notes. This is not an automatic feeling. This is a deliberate choice of Paul to rejoice. I I wrote this in my notes, so I just said, shipwrecked, beaten with the rod, 39 lashes, five times Dover, snake bitten. But instead, 15 times he says, I am choosing joy. And I I wrote this sentence for the screen. I think it's important. 
our inner joy is not necessarily a reflection of our outward circumstance. And if you gain nothing else from this message, you should carve that into your heart. Because Jesus has already told us, despite any health and wealth mess you've listened to, Jesus has already told us, in this world you will find peril, tribulation, pain, and sorrow. Take heart, I've overcome it. And I want the Cairo of the living God to not surprise you when you walk through sufferings. I want you to walk in them and deliberately rejoice. In the middle of whatever suffering that has walked into your life right now, deliberate rejoicing in the midst of the glory and the wonder of the Lord and the roots that we have in him that are not about the temporal circumstance of this day. Rejoice. I will say it again to you, body of believers. Rejoice, my dearly beloved brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God. Rejoice. For our Lord is good and he is faithful. And there is more to this life in Christ than we have known. I think I just quoted Miss Nancy. She said this to her family. I just didn't realize that was her quote. I just read it. And I wrote Miss Nancy at her funeral. We well, shouldn't say this at her funeral. That would be weird. But um, that was funny to me. I'm sorry. She um, three decades ago said to this family, there's more to this Christian life than we've known. I love Susan, her oldest daughter, said it has stirred our family to this platform today and it will stir us as long as we walk this earth. It was not, mom reached the point of going, it can't be only that we drop money in a bucket, show up at a church. There is more than we have known. And I would think that's what Paul's saying when he says rejoice. And, and then he would turns and he says, and let your grace be known to all. We're going to be known for something. Let's, let's be known for a people who rejoice in the midst of every circumstance deliberately by action and choice, giving our hearts in trust and faith to Jesus, not just for our salvation, but for our rescue as we walk this earth. And let the graciousness that makes up this body of Christ be known to everyone around us. I I, I don't know, Rick, you work with hundreds of churches. I don't know if that is what we're known for, but biblically I read Philippians 4, 5, and he says, let your graciousness be known to all, because if the Lord is near, you'll be gracious. Let your graciousness be known to all. And then he just ended that thought and goes on to prayer, which we'll tackle next week. But he goes on and says, the Lord's near. What, What other response do you have than graciousness for the Lord is near? I, 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 Scott, if I could do over, I would just, this graciousness of Ananias, just to, you taught this morning, I'm, I'm going to wrestle with this for quite a while. I, there's a new thing when you read the scripture over and over, and then the Holy Spirit is so good, just point out something new. Just the fact that Ananias, Paul was breathing fire and brimstone against the people of God, had this radical life transformation relationship with Jesus happen. Um, the Lord speaks to Ananias and says, I want you to go meet him and see him, and I want you to be gracious toward him. And Ananias says, send me, Lord. Um, can I clarify it? And the Lord does, and he sends him. And his graciousness, as he walks in the door, do you remember, if you were in small group, what he called him? You're, this is going to be like a welcoming moment, Scott. You can't cheat because you already know this. And um, Cindy spoke to you as well. But, I mean, anybody know what he called? Thank you. He looked at him and he said... This is the guy breathing fire against the church. This is the guy who's taken lives from the body of of Christ on the journey to blindness and now seeing again. And he walks in the door only having heard from the Lord and he immediately opens with graciousness, with the grace of the cross, 
with the power of resurrection, with the hope of salvation. And the first word that Saul ever heard spoken from a fellow believer in Jesus is this. Wow! Let your graciousness be made known to all. That is the most gracious moment. I have another illustration. I'll just skip it and just say, look, that's what happens among the body of Christ. I would suggest to you that Ananias and Paul had some points of disagreement prior to three days, three days prior. They weren't on the same page. They weren't going together, but when Ananias heard this, the power of the gospel has woven its way through Paul's heart. There is a rejoicing and also a wonder. There is a mystery and a conviction. There is a salvation and a rescue. And according to Philippians 2, Paul right now is working all that out with fear and trembling because he can't see. And so Ananias, as you walk back, just before I give him sight to see, I would like for you to inaugurate, initiate the picture of the church. And so go initiate that. He initiated it by saying, brother, fellow son, fellow daughter, fellow wanderer who has been found, I want to introduce you to the one who who has already found you. His name is Jesus. And immediately, brother and brother walked out, moved into a discipling relationship, and were baptized for the sake of the gospel. And the graciousness of the church was more fully known as a result. And so I'm praying for us that we come around that with this. We look at one another and say, you are my brother. You are my sister. I wrote it this way. The scripture says, if you love me, you'll love my people. And you will be known for grace and joy. And we'll carry on next week in a people who trust God in the depths of life through prayer and petition and thanksgiving. Because God is known to you. And so I would say to you, church, would you pray with me? Would you join with me in praying Philippians 4.4 that Mandarin Baptist Church would be known for our joy? Will you join me in praying that? We're going to be known for something in this area. Rejoice, my brothers and sisters. Rejoice in the Lord. And I say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice. Would you pray with me that we would be known for joy? Would you pray with me that we would be known for the grace of the cross of Jesus Christ? Would you pray with me that, that, uh, that, the, that the broken of this world would come and find healing here? That those, the Simons of this world who believe they are put together would come and find brokenness and grace to put their lives back together for the sake of Christ. Would you join with me in praying that we would have joy here? And would you join with me in praying that we would be known as a haven of grace? Could we be known for knowing Jesus? And in doing so, looking at the others around us and saying, brother, Sister, you who were far, let me bring you near to the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus forms a community of believers who are experiencing 
the transformational work of Christ as we go and live and breathe. And here's the closing expectancy, and it is closing now. It's found in Scripture. 1 John says, See, this is 1 John 3, 1 and 2. See what great love and great grace the Father has given us that we should be called His children. And we are. So dear friends, we are God's children and we will be Oh, this strikes my imagination now. What has not yet been revealed. But as we pray that we will be a people known for rejoicing in the goodness of Christ. And as we, and as we bask in the grace of Christ and can be, become known for that, only the Holy Spirit will reveal what God wants to do among us. But my imagination can run wild with this scripture. So rejoice, people of God. Again, I say, rejoice. Jesus, I pray that you would make us known for extraordinary joy and beautiful grace. God, I believe Paul understood grace because he had received so much grace. Father, I pray right now as we move into a time of singing and prayer and contemplation and sitting before you. God, I pray that we would sit down at your table. And God, we would... I don't know the right word. We would worship you for the grace that you have extended toward us. Jesus, if we are followers of yours, I pray that the scales of self-reliance, self-salvation would fall away and our eyes would be open to the great grace of the cross. And in closing of this service, there would be the freedom of rejoicing in this room. For the cross, we pray. As we do most every week, some of our pastors are here at the front. We do not believe in this fellowship that you need a mediator between God and men. Jesus has already done that. We do believe it is beautiful and healing to hear someone lift your name before God. So if you need someone to pray with you, this is a beautiful time for that. We are not offended when you walk right by us and kneel in an altar and simply bask in the grace and goodness of Christ and pray. So as we sing, we just tell you this altar is open for us to come before the Lord our God, our Maker, our God of great joy and grace.